0: your own head about thought-provoking topics? Read along with a stress-free book club that fits into a busy lifestyle. From out of the pages to real life, explore the fine line between fiction and nonfiction as we pull from bestsellers that will change your life. Tune in to our bi-weekly book club
1: of mind-bending and empowering stories hosted by Nova Lorraine, Founder of Rain Magazine and her two co hosts, Toby Santagato and Barbara Donato.
0: Welcome to another episode of Tuesday Morning's Book Club. I'm Noble Lorraine, and I am here with my co hosts, Toby Santagato and Barbara Donato. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hi. Tuesday Mornings Book Club is where we read and share both smart fiction and nonfiction books that will inspire you on your journey of growth. We explore each story and share our versions of what happens next. Our co-hosts are out-of-the-box thinkers, and we hope to challenge you and to inspire you to see these books in a way that you haven't seen before. There'll be a new show and a new book every two weeks, so mark your calendars to join us. Again, Tuesday Mornings Book Club is an exclusive production on the Pink Kangaroo Network. Today's show, we are reviewing Neil Gaiman's book called Neverwhere. And our next two books, you guys hope you have your pads and pencils ready or your smartphones ready, The Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield and Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. So make sure you get those books, start reading now, okay? So you could join us on our upcoming episodes. So let's talk a little bit about Neverwhere. I'm going to read a little bit, a summary from the publisher. Published in 1997, Neil Gaiman's darkly hypnotic first novel, Neverwhere, heralded the arrival of a major talent and became a touchstone of urban fantasy. It is a story of Richard Mayhew, a young London businessman with a good heart and an ordinary life, which is changed forever when he discovers a girl bleeding on the sidewalk. He stops to help her, an act of kindness that plunges him into a world he never dreamed existed. Slipping through the cracks of reality, Richard lands in Neverwhere, a London of shadows and darkness, monsters and saints, murderers and angels that exists entirely in a subterranean labyrinth. Neverwhere is home to Dor, the mysterious girl Richard helped in the London above. Here in Neverwhere, Dor is a powerful noble woman who has vowed to find the evil agent of her family's slaughter and thwart the destruction of this strange underworld kingdom. If Richard is ever to return to his former life and home, he must join Lady Doris' quest to save her world and may well die trying. So that's our summary. What do you guys think of Neverwhere?
1: I said I like the summary. It kind of brings you back and gives you a nice So you know, like you, oh wow, yeah, it did go through all those transformations, and it makes me realize how much like
0: there's in that book. It's a lot. It's a lot that happens. It is a lot. And I thought Barbara recommended the book, so thank you, Barbara. It was an interesting experience for me reading the book, and I'll go into that later. But what was a fun fact that I didn't know about the author was he's the same author as American Gods, Caroline, and Good Omens. And then when I would stop to think about it, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I could see the connection, but I did not make that connection right away when I was reading the book. So that was a pretty cool, fun fact. I really think that his, his journey
1: is pretty cool because we learned that he actually, this was a TV series or a film first, I think it was a series. And he felt so frustrated by the his vision and what the details he wanted to give and how it would change based on the production. And so that's, he didn't write it as a book first and he wrote it not to be a book. And then he was like, you know what? I'm going to do it so I can get what I have in my brain out in book form. which is such a, I mean, I've never heard anyone do it. I'm sure it's been done before, but it's so strange, but I totally get it. Like I, I've definitely felt like, pigeonholed. I actually majored in advertising because growing up, I used to see these commercials and go like, in what world would they actually make commercials that terrible? <laughs> 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 very similar thought process. Like I can do better. So yeah, I think it's great that he um, took control of something that was driving him crazy. And then he made a book that was very
0: successful. What do you think, Barbara? Well, I know what you think. You love the book because you recommended the book, but what are some things that jump off the page for
2: you right away? Well, my favorite thing about the book is how he changed. I mean, how so many—you know—we'll get into it as we go through the the podcast. But he went through a transition. Like he started off as a boy, I guess you could say, a uh, metaphorically, and by the end of the book, he grew up. You know, he never really had experience life-changing experiences, and by the time the book was over, the in the short time, he went through so much. He had to be faced with so much that he ended up, I, I guess, becoming a man, so to speak. And I, I just, there was a, a lot of other things along the way, but that was, that hit me the first, you know, that just that transition between innocence, I guess, or naivete to uh street smarts. I like that, uh, the journey that he took.
0: I would agree. I think he did absolutely grow up. It was painstaking, though, how long it took him to grow up. (laughs) I was like, come on. I was like, ah. And I just wanted to reach in the book and just shake him. Like, seriously, are you going to ask that question right now? You're going to beast you're about to slaughter. Like, seriously? So that was a little frustrating. And it was definitely rewarding for when it did happen, when the author did get around to showing us that he grew up. But one of the things also that made me think, as you were mentioning that, was the story took place in London above. And he is not originally from London, but he's, a, I guess, a gentleman, a British gent. And historically, in most movies and narratives, the protagonist, male character, is... Usually a very strong, especially from if you're going to use London as the backdrop or or Britain as a backdrop, as a strong, heroic character. And I thought it was really fresh and unique where they took the protagonist and he was weak. He was a wuss. He was, I mean, he almost served no purpose, but then was still the hero at the same time. Throughout most of the story, and you just usually don't see male protagonists presented that way in a narrative. And I was just, I was also just trying to wrap my head around that in terms of where the author was coming from. And then Dor, being this noble woman, being this warrior-like character, she was young, she was in her mid to late teens, at least. At least that's what she looked like. We'd, the author never really specified her age. And I would say maybe 17, 18, 19, somewhere around there is what I guessed. Or seventeen hundred years old. We really never know because they Oh, that's right.
1: You just don't know. She could be looking like she's seventeen the whole time. Richard's just completely
0: not sure. You're absolutely right about that. And here is this strong character and that was presented throughout the story where it wasn't in your face. You know, I fell in love with her character. And, you know, nowadays a lot of narratives with the strong female character sort of in your face and not as authentic as a story like this. And this was in the late 1990s, like 1996 or seven. And so it was just, I thought he did a really good job in creating these fresh characters, especially for that time that were really authentic to the story, but unexpected.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think one of the things I liked about it is just the contrast between his life in London above and what he was going through and what he was experiencing in London below. Like he really lived a mundane life. Like he he was that was the life that he knew. Like he was very content in that life. He didn't see, it's like he was a horse with blinders. You know, he had the fiance, he had the job, he had the, you know, and he was, like you said, he was weak. Like he, but did he think in his own mind he was weak? It's funny that throughout the book, he really is like, I'm not doing, what? What is happening? Like he was, everything shocked him. But when Dor was first presented in the book and she's, she needs help, he took it upon himself to help her. I mean to the point where just um his fiance was like, "No, I don't want to help. Her. I don't want to have anything to do with this." His, his relationship broke down and he still took that risk. He still brought her into safety. He still what made him a guy who's like really in all for all intents and purposes should not have even paid any attention to Dora. Like he he like what made him see her? Like what made him and then what made him go like when you think about his personality, what made him realize initially that is i want to help her i want to make sure that she's okay why did he feel like he was responsible for her cuz you you see that throughout the book he's constantly i have to find her i have to why what is it about dor or maybe something in himself that maybe he saw himself in dor you know I, what made him want to help her so badly that he was willing to lo- like risk his what risk his life for someone that for all intents and purposes he probably wouldn't have noticed in a, I want to say normal because he was going through a normal day and he noticed her but we don't normally notice homeless people unfortunately when i say we i just the you see somebody sitting you know laying down on the floor i mean i'm from new york and there you see homeless people all the time unfortunately and no one takes the time to ask why are they there what are they doing what happened to their life that they're that they're in this situation you know you just drop a couple of coins into their cup and keep going
0: yeah, let's dissect. There was a f- few things I I thought you brought up that I think we should kind of explore a little more deeply and one is Richard's naivete. You mentioned him, you described him as a boy. I mean, this is a what he's in his 20s, right? Late 20s or something like that. So, clearly not a boy by age, but metaphorically, as you mentioned in terms of his the level of innocence that he shows in this world. And then you mentioned Dor and his unexplained desire to want to help this person that he does not know. And then lastly, he actually saw her. So for our listeners who, again, this is spoiler alerts, guys, (laughs) to give you a better better (laughs) understanding as to why this is a big deal, Dora is from London Below. London Below is a couple hundred of feet. It's a whole world that's a couple hundred feet below London. And these individuals, those, the few that have the ability to get to London above are not seen or heard by anyone that lives in the city. And so it's as if they do not exist. And this is what happens to Richard shortly after he meets Dor. But he, being originally from London above, sees Dor as she's laying on the sidewalk bleeding. And I don't think the author ever really explained why he saw her, because most people would not have seen her. And even when he mentioned her, pointed her out to his fiance that was walking with him. The fiance had to kind of steer and really, what do you see? And eventually she saw her, but then she quickly forgot her and then saw her again and quickly forgot her.
1: It's kind of like what Barbara said about homeless people. Like we actually do see them, but Mm -hmm. so it's not, I want, you know, I want the listeners to know they you can be seen, but it's, it's a lot of work to see these people. And similarly, like to make a difference, went to see homeless people, and really it's maybe there's a parallel there we really don't they're there, and he was there I mean she was there, and she could be seen with great effort by anyone in upper london but but generally not, and I think that there's a lot of poverty and and homeless people that we do see I always see them, but then they're immediately out of my brain and not I'm not bragging about that, but I definitely think that that's what happens in our society. We're, we're rushing around rat race. And I think what happened with him was it was maybe he had that altruism in himself his whole life and was never exposed. Nothing ever happened. And then this was like that moment, like I'm married 30 years and I, to this day, think my husband should have been a paramedic, but it wasn't until we were married like 20 years that I, a couple of things happened, whatever. And he was like this superhero. and. He loves to jump into action, but they don't present themselves that often. So maybe nothing ever presented him. And then all of a sudden something did and it was there the whole time.
0: And right. And I would say that was consistent with his personality. And I was so taken back by his innocence as he was trying to stay alive on their journey. And he just kept asking questions as if he was maybe, I don't know, third grade. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: know. And he'd stop himself. He'd go, don't ask that now. Like as the book went on and on, he started learning like that's like probably not necessary, which I do that myself sometimes because I'm a chatty
0: Kathy. I'm like, do they really care? Probably not. So yeah, I get it. That's so funny. And he truly wanted to know like his belief system was so, and we could see the parallel in our own lives where this is what we are taught. This is what we've experienced. And this is all that exists, period. Done. And now he's in London below, and as if he's being reborn into this new world. And he's saying, Well, what do you mean there's, we're going to see an angel? Angels aren't real. Well, what do you mean there's a city that floats? Cities don't float. Well, what do you mean that there's, this person isn't kissing me because they like me. They're kissing me because they're trying to take my life's essence. Like, what is that even? You know? I know. <laughs> <laughs> he was so naive and so innocent. And really honest in his questions. And here he is, one of the older, clearly an adult, one of the adults in the situation, and acting as if he is the youngest member of the troop in terms of his mind, his mentality, and his knowledge. And he was a burden for a good part of the time. That was just always like, whoa, he's asking that? Come on. It was just interesting to take this journey with a character like that. An adult with such a youthful mindset because he is in a new world and he does have no idea what to do. The foods are foreign to him. The languages are foreign. They're creatures. I would probably have been dead, by the way. <laughs> just <seeing.
1: laughs> I'd have been like, done.
0: Bye. I
1: know. I was like, oh, There's no shot for me. He can't Yuck. go
0: back. Ooh. I oh, no way. So bad when he started to disappear like from his real life. Oh, no, I was, no,
1: not having that.
0: No, no. Oh my I like my
1: little rat race.
2: <laughs> you know, what's so funny. It, he kind of reminded me there, after the earthquake in Haiti, I went to do a mission um, in Haiti. And I was speaking to some of the locals, conversing with them. And these were adults. These were adults who, they, through their experiences, they consider themselves very knowledgeable. And we were having a conversation about tampons, Uh, excuse. It's not going to be a crazy conversation. But um, what I found so funny, because I was uh, wanted to go to the beach and um, it was my time of the month. And so I looked over at my sister and said, we're just going to have to go to the store and grab some tampons. And the look... I received from some of the women there were like, you're going to do what? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, they're like, you can't go. No way. That's going to, that happens to you. You're going to end up the, all that stuff. You're going to end up exploding. I mean, they were just telling me, just made me realize that they were not as, I guess they, they didn't know. So, and they were telling me things that I would have expected a child to tell me if they didn't understand, like I was going to explode. It was going to block me up. It was just all of these things that were good, that were going to happen to me. And I was trying to explain to them, actually, that's not how it works. And when I sat down with them and I told, explained to them ex- actually what exactly is the function of a tampon and what you needed to do with it. Some of them were receptive. Some of them were like, Oh, what? Like they, they understood. And then I think there was about two of them that were like, no, that's terrible. Are you, that's not how it happens. You know? And it. That's what kind of Richard reminded me of. Like he's never experienced any of these things. So in his mind, it was just the questions that he was asking because just the thought of of having a temptress at a, a floating market, like just the thought of those things were like, that's not possible. I, you know, like that, that can't be real. Even for him, he probably in the beginning was like, am I dreaming? But am I... I definitely think he thought that on and
1: off, he kept thinking, I don't even think from the beginning, there were even times later on, he'd be like, hmm, is this real? Is this a dream? Especially when he comes back to the upper world, he sees his friend and he's like telling him the story. And then his friend's like, are you sure that was real? And he's like, I don't know if it was real. Like he's really not sure at that point. And that's like at the end of the book. So he, maybe at the beginning of that, he was like, is this a dream? But then also Remember when he goes up to the upper when he makes it back? That's a spoiler alert. He's telling his like his buddy the whole story, and I think at that point he he isn't sure again. He's like, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy.
0: Yeah. And how many times have we've gone through something that seems so ridiculous (laughs) where you have to question your (laughs) own reality, right? If you have to share that with someone else or your perception of the reality, you know, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think. One of the things I have to say about Neil Gaiman as an author that kept me reading the story, and this wasn't a story that I fell in love with in the beginning. And I would say, I'm glad I was suggested to read this book and that I read it through the end because I had to, (laughs) because I believe that the lessons that are shared um, through the characters and through their experiences are so powerful for all of us to take away from the book. But as a reader, one of the things that I especially appreciated was his use of imagination, creating such a detailed world that truly allowed you to escape, that truly catapulted you out of your everyday reality, despite if you like the genre or if you like the story or the plot itself. I mean, you cannot deny the imagination of Neil Gaiman. And then also, He introduced a lot of characters throughout this story and you knew every single one of them. He took the time to develop each and every one of these characters. And there were at least a dozen that you would meet. And it just kept all these new experiences really fresh and interesting. You didn't know what was going to happen next. You didn't know who you were going to meet next from the crazy Earl that could hardly see on the train (laughs) and to the hunter this beautiful hunter who was, who turned out to be a spy from a bodyguard to a spy. I mean, so inventive and so creative. And I have to just applaud him for his imagination. And the second half of the book definitely picked up for me. Yeah. I think what's interesting is we have all these, we have an angel and we
1: have, we have Dor, who's pretty much one of the key characters we have so many characters. We have the two villains. I can never pronounce their names. What are they ladies? Krupp and Vander Oh, Vandermar. Vandermar. Yeah. And <laughs> what you think about like just now that just came to me and I struggled with this book. It's I guess I'm not a big fantasy book. You know, I had to call my, my co-host and say, help me understand. and And she did. And I did appreciate it much more, but it was not an easy read for me. But what I did just realize, like an aha moment as you were talking, Nova, is oh my gosh, he is the only one that changes. Because even the characters that we like and respect never change. Dor doesn't change. Elsington, the angel, doesn't change. Um, the villains don't change. No one changes. Mm-hmm. The good ones, the bad ones. Jessica, his fiance, doesn't change. Nope. He is literally the only one, which is kind of interesting that he managed to show a transformation of only one character and even his mm. interaction with those other characters, they don't change. That's right. And that's true. Yeah. Like even now, like obviously we'll do our little fun thing at the end and what we think happened. And I now have a different idea of that because he literally is the only
0: one changing. That's a really interesting point, Toby. I didn't even pick that up. That's great.
2: It's crazy. Cause pretty much. All of his characters are set in their ways. Yeah. You know, when you look at Mr. Vandermeer, and Mr. Koop, they are deliciously evil. They don't know how, not that they don't know. I don't think they care to be. They any, don't any, care. Yeah. They Definitely don't you know? care. They eat it. They swim in it. They are just, they just indulge in their, the evilness of their characters to their fault to their own demise. And
1: honestly, if we think about, there's a big parallel between that. And I know, and I'm not saying I'm this person that gets to do change because I'm, I'm the same as other people. You know, I try to be transformational, but I do see myself then always slipping back because we are machines. We're machines. And we, we have this machinery that does the same thing over and over. And Occasionally we have these moments. Hopefully I know so many people that don't transform and they don't want to, They don't want to. And I think that there's a a strong parallel with society and and relationships to this story. He's transforming and most people around them, not only don't they, they don't want to. And towards the middle end of the book when he's still dealing with Elsington, who's an angel that's gone bad, they compare him to like Lucifer, who was an angel who went bad. He has kind of some moments where he could shift and not be bad anymore and he won't at the very, very, very end when he's destroyed, or at least he's shifted to another place where we won't have to deal with him for a very, very, very long time. And you have the two villains that were working for him. They have an opportunity to be like, "Never mind, I think I'll change. And they choose death or wherever that other world is instead of changing. And I know people that will go to their grave and die, rather, and they're nailed to the floor. Mm -hmm. They will not change. And that's what these characters are nailed to the floor. They're not going to change. They don't want to. And he is the only one that goes through any kind of growth, uh, an arc.
2: (laughs) That's true. It's funny because like when you, so twice, he went to London above. First time because they had to go through the door. And the thing, and what kills me is he was able, like we noticed that he goes in and out very easily and he's able to be in both worlds very easily. Like you the ones that are in London below don't really want to be in London above. The ones in London above don't, they don't know about London below. They're very consistent in that. But yet, Richard, I think it's because of the fact that he, we had touched upon this earlier with him uh, seeing, being able to see Dor and then actually helping her. I think that he had already had that. And I did we talk, did you mention this, Toby, that we already, that he already had it in him?
0: Right. I do think he did. It doesn't just
2: come out. I think that ability is why he was able to go between both, I don't know, both worlds, both dimensions. Yeah,
0: because he would dream about the beast, mm-hmm. right? they were like, wait a minute, that's the beast. Those you know, you were dreaming about the beast and the beast only existed in London below. And so here's this dream that he was having. That was the reoccurring nightmare when he didn't even know London below even existed. So again, how many of these individuals have the ability to cross dimensions or cross worlds and sort of just kind of like, uh, oh, you wouldn't think about it. It was his encounter with Dor that allowed him to eventually meet the beast that he was having nightmares about. That's really interesting as well. The arc of Richard, when you look at the sea of people that you know how many people truly arc, have an arc in their lifetime. Can you look at, if you were going to line up 10 of your friends or associates or family members, how many have truly grown in the time period that you've known them? So that's, that's a really fascinating observation. I mean, I think personally I've had moments
1: of growth, but if I am honest with myself, I'm still that machine that when I'm not actively trying to grow and evolve, I go right back. Mm -hmm. I really do. And I have moments and I, I hope that I have improved those moments, but my comfort and my norm and my ways of being are fairly similar to the ways they've been with moments of focus. So I, I don't think that I would line myself right up with it. I, I don't want to be that person, but I definitely notice that my knee jerk nailed to the fore personality kind of maintains the same premise. And, um, I think that he does a really good job of just showing that most people, good people, I'm not saying people that can't, aren't aren't dynamic and changing, aren't really good people, but even good people that are altruistic are,
0: that's what they are. It's funny when, when I finish reading the book and again, spoiler alert, at the end of (laughs) the story, he finally makes it home. And. We're happy for him. At least I was. I was like, yes, he finally back. I was thrilled. Back. Thrilled. And I was like, oh, and he got the penthouse. And I said, ooh, look at him. He's challenging the landlord. I was like, go Richard. He got money. He had a promotion. I was like, okay. And he was just on top of the world. He literally leveled up, okay, and when he came back. And and even Jessica, who treated him like a doormat, was kowtowing to, you know, would you reconsider taking back uh, the ring? You know, could you, she wanted him to propose to yeah. her again. And he, she, he was like, no, you gave me back. You decided that you did not want to be my fiance anymore. I'm over that. I'm past that. So even he got the girl. And so all of everything that you think, okay, I'm going to level up, boom, boom. I want this. I want this, I want this. And So he had everything materially or status-wise, money-wise, the girl, all these things. And he was still unhappy. And that was really profound because, you know, we hustle, 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 because we want to get the, whatever, the bigger house, the bigger car, the prettier girl, more handsome guy or more money, whatever these things are, these material and like I said, status symbols, they are goals, you have a goal. So you're hunting, you're going for the goal. And then you're still unhappy. I mean, think about how many people are still unhappy that on the outside, you're like, well, you're this and you're that, and you live here or there, you know why are you unhappy? And so what I saw was the true friendships that he he developed and the fact that he was literally living out loud every single day. Like he knew his life was at stake every moment of every day. And that's what being mindful is, right? You do not take any second for granted. And to come back to a nine to five in a nice penthouse apartment, to go to sleep, to get up, to do the same routine over and over again was not worth it to him. And so anyway, I had to ask my husband and son who were nearby when I finished the book. And I said, and they knew I was reading the book and I was kind of chiming in, giving them info as I read the story. I said, what would you have done? You finally make it back to London above. You then level up on everything you've had before. Would you have gone back? And it's just, you know, one said yes, one said no. And they gave their reasons. And it's fascinating to think about, what's your personality? Are you just comfortable with the status quo or just above that? Or are you the person that wants that adventure every single day? Okay, I'm going to, I would never go back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't like to be afraid. And even if he got used to it, there was a lot of, I was afraid the whole time. Yeah, And I don't like that. Like, so when he went back, I was actually irritated with it. Because I don't think you have to go back there <laughs> to to be fulfilled. I would not have done it. I don't, like I said, I mean, I didn't think that was, I mean, I think his personal growth, but there was also incredible danger. And I don't think it was a society that would not be dangerous. So I don't know, not happy. <laughs> I guess that tells you who I am. I would not,
2: no. I wouldn't go back either, Toby, but I've got to talk about that at the end. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have gone back. But I do, I think what people were seeing when he came back was the self-confidence. I think he knew who he was. I think before that, he didn't. That's the subject of duality. Like your one thing, door was like metaphorically his door. Oh, that's true. Wow. You know, like he opened the door for him. Like had he not met her, he would still have been in this life. He still would have been, he was boring. He lived a very boring life. (laughs) And he was a weak he was a weak, weak man, like you stated Nova. He was very weak. And people felt that. That's why he, he was living in the and he thought that he could be okay with that. You oh know, he was he,
0: very okay with that.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I think when he was going through all the ad, the adventures that he was going through, the near death experiences that he was going through, once he experienced it, for him, like remember he was talking to a shadow, a shadow wanted him. I mean, there was just so many different aspects of this book where he could have went back. He could have, and he chose not to. He chose to be in those situations. And I think that that's inherently, that's what he wanted. He wanted to live in the moment for the rest of his life. He wanted to have that, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to call it a near-death experience, but it, I mean, you're going to the London below. That's every day is a near-death experience to me. You know? Dude, it's scary down there. I think that's what he wanted. I think when he went back uh, to London above, I think he felt like it initially felt like okay I can do this this is what I want this is how I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like you said I'm going to level up right and I'm going to be more than what I was before and I and that should make me happy and what he realized was it was just giving him more of the same just more
0: more that's really interesting and I wonder was his we say what made him see door and most people would not have gone back to London below and here is this really interesting character and uh, that in his current life in London above, he was very much like, okay, whatever. If you want to be a pushover, you know, he was a pushover and he was fine with it. And he had a decent apartment with a decent job with a pretty girl that he thought may have loved him. And, you know, it was just like, okay, I have all the check marks. I like that word decent. That's perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Decent. Definitely.
0: But yet he was having nightmares of fighting this beast. He was able to see this person that should not have been seen. Was he secretly or subconsciously seeking this adventure, Barbara, which made me, I'm just now thinking of this for the first time and asking the question out loud, and did that attract door? Remember when the story opened up, Hmm. he saw a fortune teller. He didn't realize the fortune teller was the one that she was a fortune teller, but that was her gift to him when he gave her the uh, or helped her, whatever gave her money or whatever he was giving right. her. Gave her money. Yeah. She said, "Be wary of doors." Yeah. And <laughs> when you said door, the character was his door. It made me go right back to the very beginning of the story, and I was like, "Whoa!" And so she saw that there was you know whatever she saw in his future, but maybe it was meant for him all along to be in London below? Because he had this weird sort of connection with that world. And so again, bringing it to reality, you know, if we were saying, is there something that we're secretly or subconsciously seeking, and it's not the material things that we think are obviously in front of us, you know, is there more than what we want? And given the choice, would we choose this everyday sort of like nail biting experience or just okay or just decent or just status quo or just above status quo. So that it's just a really interesting thing to think about. I want to ask you guys a quick question and then let's delve into our last segment which is when we explore what happens next. So before we run out of time really quickly, what character would you choose to be in the story and why? Wow. That's a hard one. How about you? You go first. Okay, I would choose to be Hunter and didn't really like the fact that she kind of sold them out at the end, but she did come clean where she sacrificed herself to make sure that they were okay. But her, she was so confident and so graceful, warrior. Typically, those two don't go together. And she was the strongest warrior, or at least appeared to be outside of the villains. And actually, I thought she was going to be the one that was going to save them from Krupp and Vandemar, which were like, they were just evil monsters. They were not human at all. They lived, they could travel through time. They couldn't die. And so how do you fight a villain that has no fear, loves death, extremely gruesome and cruel, can't die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, Hunter can do it. Hunter's going to save the day. Yeah. And she was just, she was very little words, but whenever she said something, they were meaningful. She was statuesque. She had presence. She could tell she was really smart. She saved Richard, who was a stranger to her, as they were crossing that bridge that you know through the night that first time they met. And so there was a valor to her, and they described her as being very beautiful. So there you go. <laughs> yes, <laughs> dude, that sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. I don't know. I. What about you? For me, I like the Marquis. Actually, he was. Probably in my top two favorite characters, he, I just like that he knew everything. You know, he was the go-to person. I like that you didn't even, you know, as you read the book, you didn't know what his agenda was. He always left you kind of guessing, you know what I mean? Like, till the very end when he was willing, obviously, he knew these, Mr. Vandermeer and Mr. Krupp were going to kill him. And he still wanted to find out what it, who it was that was going after Dor. He still had that fierce loyalty to Dor, mm. and I think even though, like I said, there was a couple of things that he did to me that were suspect, <laughs> but he, <laughs> but he was he was loyal to Dor, and therefore, in his loyalty to Dor, he was loyal to Richard, who also was helping Dor. I, you know, it. and I like that. Well. I really, and it. I also like Yeah, I like that he was like he always knew the answers to questions. He was like clever as a fox. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like very I, clever. Yes, and I, I like that about him. I liked, I liked his, you know, is he good? Is he bad? I kind of like, he always left you guessing as to what he was going to do, where he was going to do. He knew the right questions to ask people.
1: He was definitely smart and clever for sure. He was always very clever. I have a really small character that I think I would want to be because it feels comfortable for me, but it's a very small character. And I don't remember his name, but the guy that made the key for her in the market, in the floating market, she's incredibly grateful to him. And like, I need to do something for you. And sh- and he was like, what? No. And I swear, I know this is like, it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back, but I really am more of a person that's comfortable giving than receiving. I I often feel very uncomfortable asking for anything or, and I related to that. And he was like, I did this because I wanted to do it. I mean, I don't want to live in lower London. So let me be clear, (laughs) but the type of personality he was, I I related to that person the most probably. He
0: was cool. Yeah, he was cool. Yeah. He didn't have a small part, but it was extremely crucial to them surviving.
1: Yeah. And it showed door. Yeah. It showed that door had relationships with people that were good because
0: of the way she was too. But yeah, he is the guy I would probably um, relate to the most. Before we jump into what's next, another quick thing that I thought was really imaginative of the author was in this world below, they just traded items, bartered items and a handkerchief was seen to be extremely valuable. A pen was extremely valuable and it really was just subjective to who was getting that item. And so what someone saw as junk, like this box that was given to the um, silversmith, someone else, the silversmith saw it as valuable, you know, I and mean, whatever service he gave in exchange for that. And so that was just like, hmm, I would always often think like, what would I trade? What would I trade? And, you know, Richard was trading things for food. It was not a money system. And that was, people were excited to see what was brought to the market that was going to be traded. So that was just a, it was a fun element of the story. And again, like the imagination of of Neil Gaiman, like, wow. All right. Moving into our last segment, what happens next? So we talked about Richard leveling up once he got back to London Above. And there was a moment where I thought that he was not actually going to return. And he levels up and then he's unhappy. So what do you guys think about how the author decided to wrap up the story? And would you have done it differently? Or... Once he went back to London Below, what do you think happened next? So you take whatever angle you'd like to take on that.
2: I was not happy that he went to London Below. I do not like London Below. Let me just (laughs) say that it's just too uncomfortable for me. Like It's just too high stress. I would constantly be stressed out, and I do not like to be stressed. (laughs) But I will say this. I think that he didn't stay in the life that he was living. For me, I felt like Richard decided to open a nonprofit for the homeless. I felt like Richard traveled. I think what Richard did was he wanted the world to see the unknown and I think what he did was he would go to different parts of the world and start different uh nonprofits for the homeless, for the underappreciated, for the for the unseen. I think what I think that Richard really felt like he would make a better impact that way. And I also felt that he did things that were he went and went skydiving. Like he, he faced danger in different ways, but different ways we would normally do in in this world. Like swimming with sharks, you know that kind of thing right. yes. off the coast of South. Africa. Yeah, not
0: really trying to do that either. But I see what you're saying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but that's how I could. I see him doing. Like I said, like he because he could always go back to the comfort of his home right. instead of. For me, I would rather do that and sleep at night. You don't know what what life throws at you, but. To me, there's a comfort in being able to go to a pillow and being able to sleep than sleeping in the London below worried that somebody might kill you. So your
0: your vote is keep him in London above, but take him through a more adventurous journey in London above. Yes. But he actually explored what his future was gonna look like. Do you remember like
2: he Yeah, but I didn't Neil Gaiman did that so that he couldn't help get him Justify him going back to London below. It was not a good justification
1: for me. <laughs> How about you, me? How would you have ended it? I definitely am very similar to Barbara. I don't know if he would have opened a nonprofit, but I think he would have stayed above and just been. I actually didn't see him necessarily changing dramatically, like where he worked and all that stuff. I, I saw it more of an appreciation of. I didn't even know if he would go back with Jessica. I thought more like they would have a better relationship because they had love and they were going through the motions, but they were going to, it was going to be better Mm. because Ah. yeah, she was going to get it and he was going to become a person. And sometimes we have these, I mean, I'm married 30 years and I've had many ups and downs and transformations. And and I, we've had moments where we're new people, even though we're the same people. So I thought they would actually get back together and he would just, make a difference in his own personal journey. But I don't know if he would swim with the sharks. I felt like he would not go back. And I think that he would even appreciate more the fact that he had not that incredible danger and that he found his his sea legs, but he definitely didn't. He kind of stayed on the same path, in my opinion, but it was a better path because of the experience. That's kind of what I thought would happen.
0: So that's interesting. I'm actually not surprised that he went back to London below. And I, was I annoyed? I wasn't really annoyed because it was such a life altering experience. I don't think anyone that goes through such an extreme experience comes back the same. And to pretend that that didn't happen and to forget that level of, I guess, maybe excitement (laughs) that he was experiencing after the fact, he could look back and go, wow, that was much more exciting than what I'm doing right now, hanging out at the bar with people that I don't really care for. And I think he also realized, with even given the opportunity to get back with Jessica, and Jessica actually coming to him, it wasn't like he was groveling at her. He realized it wasn't really love. It was something he questioned early on, but was okay with, you know what? The sex is good. She's pretty. I'm lucky I even have her. Uh, we'll get married. Like, who cares? And then... After experiencing these true friendships, like people who put their lives on the line for each other, and they were strangers. I mean, the Marquis was a stranger to Dor. She was introduced to him as a child by her father, and he was called a monster to her. And the Marquis didn't really have any relationship to Richard or Dor as other than the fact that he felt loyal to Dor's father. So they were all putting their lives on the line for each other. And how many times do strangers do that for each other in real life? And so I think experiencing that, knowing that he didn't really have love, he felt something for Dora, but I don't think he would have went back and had a romantic relationship with her. I think that he would have went back to London below to try to find true love, really. And in a world that he now felt more comfortable. And as you remember, because he slayed the beast, right? he was the most powerful warrior in London below and everyone knew it. So he, he became famous in London below and here he is this warrior and he has a magical friend who could open doors and a magical friend in the marquee who can die and come back to life. <laughs> you know? Sorry. That was a big spoiler alert too, guys. <laughs> yeah, But so I would say he goes back. He's not, obviously he's they're living on the streets, earlier on, but Dor has a house. They go back, he lives with Dor, he finds the love of his life, and he looks forward to all the markets that come each and every week. Well that's
2: more exciting. <laughs> it is more exciting. I like that MB. I think I put a little bit of me because I would not go back to London. That's Below. me too. For sure, Barbara. I was like, Dude, no. <laughs> it just sounds too uncomfortable. Like it just yeah, it's very
0: dark and smelly and dirty with creatures everywhere that want to kill you and eat you. Yes. Yes, yeah. I'm not I'm not really a fan of that. But with Dor and the marquee, it's like having Wonder Woman and Superman as your best friends. <laughs> like
2: that is true. Let's go. That is true. That is true. As long as they were there, I guess I can visit for long periods of time.
0: <laughs> well, guys, it is about that time to wrap things up. This was fun. It was such a different book than what we've read throughout the season of Tuesday's Book Club. And I hope those of you that are joining us that read the book, I hope you enjoyed it or got something from it. Like I said, it wouldn't be a book I would have picked up off the shelf, but I'm so glad I read it for the adventure it took me on, for the experience of Neil Gaiman's writing style as it relates to building worlds. Wasn't really crazy about some of the other things, how he writes, but I really, really loved his characters, how imaginative he is, how detailed he is and bringing you into a completely unique world. And so I really appreciate being introduced to the book. So thank you again, Barbara, for that. Thanks, Barbara. You're welcome, ladies. And I hope all of you took something away. Don't be afraid to change. And don't be afraid to be a hero. Anyone, Richard has proven that anyone slay (laughs) the beast. Okay. (laughs) So look for your beast and slay it. Look for your beast and slay it every single day. That's the point. Be mindful. Live each day by the moment because tomorrow is not promised. And I think that's what was appreciated, I think, when Richard came back was like, wow, I lived by the moment. And so how many of us do that? So I think that was a really, really big lesson. Don't just settle for decent or okay. Life should be an adventure. Your loved one should be a truly loved, you know, like be in love you yes. know, if you can. And so thank you again. Thank you, my beautiful co hosts Toby and Barbara. Yay. And Yay, we're reading The Celestine Prophecy, right? Our next book. Yep. Yes. All right. So Celestine Prophecy by James, I think Redfield. Um, so go out, get that book follow us, email us. We are Tuesday's book club at pink kangaroo. Check us out at pink kangaroo. That's with the U kangaroo with the U.com. And if you have any book suggestions or comments or questions, um, sometimes we do read questions from our listeners during the show. We love to read yours. So tune in for our next show. Comes out in two weeks. Don't miss out. This is Tuesday's Book Club. This is Nova Lorraine. Thanks again. And until next time. Bye. 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 Bye.